Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you today to see the, the full house here. Uh, thank you, Dave, for the introduction and everybody at Kingswood uh, for the great hospitality that I've been enjoying the last day. So um, let's just dive right in. We don't have a lot of time and we have a lot of ground to cover. So I am going to be principally talking to you this morning about the issue of um, sex trafficking. Now, human trafficking is a much broader issue, but my particular area of expertise concerns sex trafficking, so that's what I'm going to really hone in on today. Um, before we really dive in, I want to give um, a couple of words of warning. So the material that I'm going to be covering is very mature. Um, but uh, we live in a world where um, young people today are exposed to all kinds of issues and exposed to a lot of um, graphic sexual material. Um, but what I'm sharing with you today are some of the fruits of the hypersexualization and the normalization of exploitation that we see in culture. Um, now, I realize that in a, in a room this size, there are very likely people who have experienced sexual trauma in their own lives. Uh, so some of you, uh, both male and female, I'm sure, are survivors of sexual abuse. And if at any point this conversation makes you uncomfortable, don't hesitate to feel like you can leave. Um, there's no judgment here. Or maybe it's just, it's just too heavy. Uh, maybe this is just too much and you feel like you need to go get some air. That's okay. Uh, or maybe later when we start talking about uh, people who participate in, um, the, in commercial sex in some way, as maybe consumers of pornography or uh, maybe even of purchasing sex. And maybe that's something you're wrestling with. Again, um, feel if, it's, if it's just too heavy, feel free to go. And nobody's going to be asking any questions, okay? Um, and so that, that's the, the main word I wanted to say. And for those of you who are who in high school, you know, I'm not, this is not, I'm not sharing this stuff to be salacious or gratuitous. You are young adults. You're going to be growing up and entering a very, um, a very big world that has a lot of problems. And I want you to be able to understand uh, what these problems are uh, and, and know the truth. And the same for you uh, young Kingswood students. I know you're here because you want to engage in the world. So that's what we're here to do today. Okay, so a quick outline uh, about what we're going to be going over. Um, whoa. There's a slide missing. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what happened, but uh, we're going to be talking about, a little bit about what human trafficking is, giving you some real basics, and that we're going to go over that pretty quickly. Um, and then additionally, um, gosh, well, we'll just get there. Uh, and then the third point is we're going to look at uh, the issue of... of <sighs> here. Ah, oh, yay. There it is. Well, why... <laughs> So are we cool, Shane? Okay. There we go. Um, all right, so I've already given you the warnings, 
and we're gonna have a few, uh, I'm gonna go a little bit over some of the trafficking in persons basics, and then we're gonna really look at the issue of prostitution and how that's the bedrock, how it's really the cornerstone on which the issue of sex trafficking is built and why that's important. And we're gonna really dive into the issue of prostitution, look at how prostitution harms. Uh, we're gonna look at pimps and how uh, they really are sex traffickers. We'll be talking about uh, victimization that happens across the commercial sex industry. So we're not just talking about street-level prostitution, we're talking about uh, porn the pornography industry, we're talking about stripping, we're talking about massage parlors. Um, we're also gonna be looking at how pornography and prostitution really are equivalents, um, how they are the same thing. And uh, we're gonna be getting on to a couple more points here, uh, looking at how pornography is really training up uh, future generation of sex buyers, people who would actually engage in the sex industry. And we'll look at the role of the sex buyer, what we call the demand for commercial sex and the role that that plays in the issue of sex trafficking. And then lastly, we'll talk about sex and whether it is work or not. So those, that's the broad outline. Now, um, one more setup piece before we really dive in here. I wanted to, again, I've, I've given you some caution that we're going over some very serious material today. And I think sometimes people in um, the Christian environments, we kind of tend to live in a little bit of a bubble. Sometimes we're not really engaging with the world, and we can, we can live really outside, some, you know, and not understand the evil that's all around us. And we can think maybe that makes us holy, and maybe that's how we're supposed to live, completely set apart from everybody else. But there are occasions when God calls us to confront evil, to look it dead in the eye. And so that's why I'm sharing with you this scripture from Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 8, six verses 6 and 9. And he said to me, son of man, do you see what they are doing the utterly detestable things the house of Israel is doing here, things that will drive me far away from my sanctuary. But you will see things that are even more detestable. And he said to me, go in and see the wicked and detestable things they are doing here. So I went in and looked. So there are times when we have to look at the evil that is around us. Now, I'm not sharing the scripture with you to give you a permission slip to go now and start diving into all the horrors that are out there and start looking at pornography just so that you can be educated. That's not what this is about. If that ends up someday being your calling, you need to be surrounded by people who will support you and hold you accountable if, if you're meant to get into this area of ministry and, and dive and you know look this evil, fake, confront it eye to eye. Um, there'll be a day for that, but that's not now. So um, don't use this as some kind of permission slip to go out there and start doing uh, some research that you really don't need to be doing. All right, so a few t uh, basics about trafficking in persons. Also, sometimes we use the acronym TIP. Um, here's the definition from the Canadian law. Now, I, I live in the United States, and when I normally speak about human trafficking, I'm training on the U.S. definition, which is a bit different than the Canadian one, so I don't begin to consider myself an expert on the Canadian anti-trafficking law, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. I'm just throwing it out there so that you know what it is. And so um, your law defines trafficking in persons, that it's a crime that involves recruitment, transportation, transfer, receiving, holding, 
thing or hiding a person, uh, also exercising control in order, uh, direction or influence over a person's movements for the purpose of exploiting them or helping to exploit them. So basically you have all these things that are happening, recruitment, transportation, harboring, uh, provisioning of a person uh, in order that you can maintain control over them. Okay, that's so that you can exploit them in some context. That's the, I think, the summation of that definition. Now, human trafficking, you can divide it kind of into two broad categories of exploitation, and I've already kind of touched on this a little bit earlier this morning. There's labor trafficking. So this is, uh, now, yesterday, for those of you who were at chapel, you heard me talk about trafficking as a process. It's a process that, traffickers put people through in order that they may gain control over them and exploit them and basically exert rights of ownership over them, basically exert the power of, of property, of treating an individual as your own property, that you dictate every aspect of their life, basically rendering them a slave. That's the heart of that's the, what trafficking ends up doing to people, rendering them into a slave. And in that slave condition, generally people are exploited in two different categories, labor trafficking and sex trafficking. So labor trafficking, um, you have a lot of different categories, domestic service, uh, people being forced to work in people's homes, doing all the domestic chores, but literally brutal types of enslavement, treating people worse than the family dog. Uh, I, some of the accounts I've read of domestic servants and the brutality that they have um, that's been meted out to them will really make your blood run cold. It's, we're not talking about just making people do light vacuuming here. We're talking about people who are forced to sleep um, in unheated rooms, who are tortured, uh, who are beaten, who are sexually assaulted. Um, of course, there's also things like sweatshops where people are enslaved. A lot of agricultural industries have been known to um, in, uh, enslave people and so on. Now, I'm excited that later uh, today in one of your sessions, you'll have, um, we have a speaker who's going to be diving into and looking more at uh, the labor side of the human trafficking issue. Since today, I'm going to be focusing on the second half of your slide on sex trafficking. And when we're talking about sex trafficking, we're talking about the trafficking of people in into the commercial sex industry, which is comprised of prostitution, pornography, stripping, massage parlors, um, and some people uh, even make an argument that mail order brides and child brides can be considered victims of um, commercial sexual exploitation. Now, one thing I need to set out is what I mean by commercial sex. So I mean a sex act, any kind of sex act on which anything of value is given or exchanged. So when you, in some way you tie a commodity, you tie uh, money to the exchange. Maybe it's drugs, maybe it's housing, maybe it's a meal. You tie that sexual exchange with, um, with an act of, of giving something of value, then you commodify the sex act, you make it a commercial sex act. And like I can think of examples, say there have been instances in uh, Africa during big, big civil conflicts where aid workers go in and instead of giving the aid to the people that they're there to serve, they say, well, you want this aid? Give me sex. Okay, so that would, that's another example. We're not just talking about um, exchange of money on the streets. 
So we've already talked about the different forms of commercial sex and ways in which sex is commodified. So, um, and we're gonna, I'll just kind of go up, breeze over that. But there's a lot of places, a lot of different venues in which sex is for sale, uh, in which sex is sold. So there's outright brothels where there, you know, be people uh, who are available for purchase. People go in and actually purchase them for sex. Um, Outright in, in some parts of the world, brothels are legal. So countries like the Netherlands, Australia, Germany, they're well known. Uh, Thailand, they're well known for having um, legal brothels, places where people go and purchase sex. But then you have um, countries like my own, like the United States, where for the most part, prostitution is not legal. And so prostitution happens under cover generally, of some sort of potentially legitimate business, like a massage part, like a massage salon, okay? So massage isn't necessarily always sexual massage. So anyway, you can set up a massage parlor um, and make it look, maybe trying to make it look like it's legitimate. Or sometimes it's not even made to look so legitimate, it's just that people just look, look the other way. They really know what's going on, but hey, boys will be boys, and nobody's paying, nobody wants to pay attention. We've got more serious things to worry about, so they, they, look, they turn a blind eye. Um, another way people access the commercial sex trade is through um, escort services. So this is basically what they call out-call. So um, somebody looks up a phone number, used to be in the phone book, now it would be on the internet, and they call somebody up and they arrange uh, to meet someplace. You have places like health clinics or masquerading as a health clinic, but actually providing prostitution services. Um, I've heard of uh, aromatherapy clinics as fronts for prostitution, auto repair shops as fronts for prostitution, sports clinics as fronts for prostitution. People can get very creative when it comes to trying to hide up what they're doing, hide what they're doing. Um, of course, nightclubs and strip clubs, really, I think a lot of strip clubs really are uh, prostitution venues, particularly um, in the back room. There's usually back rooms uh, where people, uh, generally men, pay women to go and they engage in various sex acts in, in the back rooms. Of course, um, streets, I think most of us have seen probably movies or TV shows where prostitution is portrayed as happening on the streets. That does happen. So it's basically turning your street corner into an auction block for women, and sometimes men. And then the internet, which has basically serves as a virtual red light district, a virtual way to access commercial sex. And with even the live performance of sex acts via the internet, which are directed by the, per, you know, you have one person who's performing and then the other person who's directing and saying, I, I'm paying you to do, do this, and they, and they watch via the internet. Now, <clears throat> okay, so there's a lot of question about how big human trafficking is, how big labor exploitation is. Um, there's a common number out there that's put out by the International Labor Organization that says that as many as 20.9 million people are victims of some form of forced labor. Okay, that's a staggering, horrible number. But I want to put that into some context. 
because there's another study that suggests that as many as uh, 42 million people in the world are involved in prostitution. And of those, about nine out of, the, out of every 10 would be dependent upon a pimp. So, and we're gonna talk about this more, but basically what that means is that there's someone exercising coercive control over them. In other words, these, these, this nine out of 10 of those prostituting persons would classify as a trafficked person because a pimp is an individual who exercises rights of ownership over people in prostitution. So we, that means we have nearly 38 million people who could potentially be victims of sex trafficking. Whoa. <laughs> okay, where are we at here? Now, <clears throat> so that brings us up to this issue of prostitution. Let's dive in a little bit more here. We're really talking about what I consider the cornerstone or the foundation upon which the whole sex trafficking enterprise happens. You know, people who are trafficked in for commercial sexual purposes, they are not trafficked to bake brownies. They're trafficked to provide prostitution services. And so prostitution services happen in the sex trade. And so if we wanna understand what happens to people who are, tra- who are sexually trafficked, we have to understand what the normal everyday life is in the commercial sex trade. So that's what we're gonna be looking at now. And I want you to take a careful look at this, at this picture. This is art um, by Herman Vogel. Basically, the, the name of this is basically asking, do you like her? And so you have this procurus, a female sex trafficker, who has, if you look closely, a face like a skull, like death, who is offering this woman to, this young woman to a man. As, you know, again, just do you like her? Do you want her? Do you want to purchase her? And as I was saying, you know, when we're talking about sex trafficking, we're talking about, you know, we're not talking about baking brownies. We're talking about people who are selling sex. And you cannot talk about this without talking about prostitution. And Diane Post has put it well. She said, talking about sex trafficking without considering prostitution is like talking about slavery. And in this, she meant the, the American slave trade of the South. Um, it's like talking about slavery without considering the cotton fields. So we have to look at uh, the, the industry, the, 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 the socioeconomic conditions which, which facilitate the, 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 the institution of slavery. All right, so my first point today, um, when it comes to this, this issue of prostitution, not every woman in prostitution has gone through the trafficking process. Okay, they, all, they all weren't recruited, they all weren't harbored or transported, or they're not all under pimp control. So you can't say that every woman in prostitution uh, would meet the definition of a trafficking victim. I hear that a lot. You know, sometimes people say all prostitution, people in prostitution are trafficking victims. I would never make that claim. Because there are some people in prostitution who get in it completely um, of their own volition. However, I will say that prostitution harms everybody who comes into it by whatever means. 
So whether they, they have some volition, some degree of agency in becoming involved in prostitution or not, everybody's hurt by it. And I should, I should add a, a really quick point here. As, I, as I'm going to be going through this, this presentation, it's focusing a lot on women or females in prostitution. And in so doing, I don't mean to suggest that there aren't boys, that there aren't men who are also trafficked, who are also involved in prostitution. There very much are. But traditionally, prostitution has been an institution that um, was for men and predominantly made of, um, the people who were made available have been women. So it's, it's typically been uh, a very patriarchal institution that served male sexual interests. So I talk out of, generally out of that framework, but I don't mean to suggest that men aren't also exploited, so please bear that in mind. Okay, now, so we've said that not everybody in prostitution has been trafficked, so that might mean that some people um, have had some degree of choice in becoming involved, and this becomes a very big argument that people use in legitimizing prostitution. So I want to talk about harm versus choice. So there, there's an um, academic who's done a, a great job of explaining the importance here. She says, harm is different. It's an objective condition, not a way of feeling. To be harmed is to have one's interests set back, to be made worse off, to have one's circumstances made worse than they were, than they would have been in the absence of the thing that's doing the harm. Whether a person is harmed or not does not depend on how she feels. Okay, so harm doesn't depend on how a person feels. That something is chosen or consensual is perfectly consistent with it being seriously oppressive, abusive, and harmful to oneself and or to a broader group of which one is a member, as in women. Okay, so that's an important notion to keep in mind because people often say, well, you know, they, women in prostitution choose it, so that must mean it's okay. But just because somebody chooses something doesn't mean it's not harmful. So, like, you can go out and you can decide today that you're going to start smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. Is that your choice? Yeah. Is it harmful? You betcha. Or you could decide, oh, I'm going to start living on a, a McDonald's diet and having a, a Big Mac and quarter pounder and fries and, you know, eating all that stuff every day, right? You can choose that. You might even feel good about choosing that. But is it harmful? You betcha. Okay. So just because you choose something doesn't mean it's not harmful. <clears throat> now, let's look a little bit at what these harms are. What is it exactly that prostitution uh, does to people who are involved in it? Okay. Well, there's an interesting study that was done in um, Colorado, and it found that prostituting women are nearly eight ti 18 times more likely to be murdered than women of similar age and race not involved in prostitution activities. That sounds pretty harmful. Prostituting women are 51 times more likely to be murdered than if they worked in a liquor store, which was the next most dangerous thing that you could be, quote, working in. Okay. Whoop. Now, this also study, the study also found that the average age of death 
for the women that it was investigating was 34 years old. The average age of death. The leading cause of death was homicide. 18% died from drug ingestion. Um, 12% were in accidents. 9% had alcohol-related deaths. And 8% had um, HIV-AIDS infection-related deaths. Doesn't sound like your everyday occupation to me. Now, there are, I could stack up studies this high that show, document different forms of violence against women in the sex trade. The staggering amounts of violence. Um, you know, and here's just, this is not an all-inclusive list. <laughs> I have much bigger lists of the kinds of violence and, and actual torture that are afflicted upon women in the sex trade, whether they're trafficked or not. Okay, now keep in mind, when people are using people in the sex trade, they're not going out there and taking a survey and asking, hey, did you choose this? You know, they, the people who are the consumers, they don't know whether a person's are trafficked or not. They're not that discriminating. They're just going out there and buying what's ever available. So that, whether or not they're trafficked isn't really part of their calculus. They're just out there consuming. But the things that happen to women, both from the sex buyers and the, the pimps and madams who control them, you have threats with weapons, you have abandonment in remote areas, robbery, kidnapping, uh, strangulation, stabbings, physical assaults, and rape. And rape is very common. Now, and just so you get a, a sense of uh, <laughs> what... Okay, so there are, there are groups out there that advocate that, you know, the, the problem with the sex trade is just that we need to regulate it and make it safer. And if we could just make it safer, then it'll be okay for women. And they, so they also provide all these safety tips for people who are in the sex trade. And so I've, I actually deleted three of these because they were so um, graphic that I didn't feel like I could share them here today. But there are a few here. Um, they say, plan an escape uh, line before any job, before every job. So in other words, this, this being involved in the sex trade is so dangerous that anybody who's exchanging sex should be sure that they have an escape route in mind with it whenever they're engaging with someone who's buying sex from them. Um, another tip, ex accidentally kick a shoe under the bed and, and while retrieving it, check for knives, handcuffs, and rope. Um, don't wear chains or jewelry you can be strangled with. Uh, if, the if the situation escalates beyond your control or comfort, leave your mark in the car, leave fingerprints, leave DNA. Okay, so again, this is uh, an, an enterprise. This is a, <laughs> the, the commercial sex trade is an enterprise which some people want to portray as just another form of work. And I ask you, do you want to you want us, anybody interested in signing up? You know, the risk, like, you might as well be a, uh, somebody who puts out bombs, you know, like one of the bomb squad. So what women in prostitution have said, and actually this is a quote from a Canadian woman uh, who was participating in a research study, and she's talking about her experience in prostitution and how she described it was is that what rape is to others is normal to us. So... 
again, think keep in mind, if a person is trafficked into prostitution, they are experiencing the day-to-day realities of what it means to be in the sex trade. And the day-to-day reality of what it means to be in the sex trade is to live a life of rape. Serial rape. Now, a little bit about, I think, um, just to, again, again, give you the literal picture of what life in prostitution looks like. So the next few pictures you're gonna see are time-lapse photos. These are women who were arrested over a period of anywhere from one to four years for prostitution offenses. And you can literally see the degradation that unfolds as they have experienced uh, life in the sex trade. Now, you know, I have no idea how these women came to be involved in prostitution. I do know that Uh, whether, you know, a lot of people in prostitution uh, begin as children, where very clearly they would be considered a victim of sex trafficking. I know that a lot of people who become involved in prostitution were sexually abused as children or victims of incest. In fact, uh, some scholars have even described incest as boot camp for prostitution. Okay, so that's what happened to one woman. Another girl. You know, and these, I mean, these really rip your heart out because you see the beauty. But even with this girl, you can, from the very first photo, you can tell something's off. The very first one. There's just something in her affect um, that hints at exploitation and abuse suffering and then you see just the continued uh, her continued degradation and the abuse that she's she's suffering whoops boy this is touchy all right so prostitution harms that was point one uh point two Uh, All pimps are sex traffickers. So there is um, a lot of normalization of of pimping within popular culture, within rap music and and music videos, um, Halloween costumes, you know, people just really make a joke out of pimping. But I want you to understand that what pimps do is exactly what sex traffickers do. They recruit, they harbor, they transport, they provision, they obtain persons, they use force, they use fraud, they use coercion, and then they they use them, prostitute them in the commercial sex trade, they exploit them and make money off of them. That's what pimps do. Pimps are sex traffickers. And these are pictures of real life pimps. So one of these guys, <laughs> he was actually a sports writer for the New Hampshire Union Leader. Um, you might know uh, the guy in the middle there, Ice-T, former pimp. I mean, the irony of him being on Special Victims Unit, you know, it just could not be more profound. Um, and, I, and of course, a clue to woman, because I, I want you to know that not all sex traffickers are male. Women are very much involved in, the sex, in sex trafficking. So another way to think about this is that pimps are essentially subcontractors, though, because pimps are in business to serve somebody, and they serve the sex buyers. So they, they subcontract 
um, by, to the buyers. The men who purchase sex from pimp-controlled women in effect subcontract violence and intimidation to the pimps who thereby secure the women's availability for sex. So if you ever engage with a, a pimp-controlled woman, you're just saying, you're just using the, the pimp to take care of gaining access and control over her so that you don't have to beat her, that you don't have to jump out of the bushes and rape her. The pimp's taking care of all that for you. Um, another point, we are, we're, I've got to move pretty quickly here in the next few minutes, so we're going to not spend a lot of time on this. But uh, uh, people who are trafficked for the sex trade are used in a variety of settings. They're not just used for street-level prostitution or in brothel prostitution. They're used in pornography. They're used in massage parlors. And oftentimes, they're prostituted throughout a whole range of those. They might be used um, for an escort service. They might also be... Um, their pimp might also be running them in a strip club. Um, they're, if, they're, if they're a good pimp, um, they're going to be running their, their women in multiple lines of uh, expressions of the sex trade. Now, just to give you a little illustration of the point of how these forms of commercial sexual exploitation intersect and bleed together, uh, there was a study of 854 women in prostitution in nine countries, and nearly half, almost 49%, told them that the pornography was made of them while they were in prostitution. Now, here's one of the big points for today. Pornography is prostitution for mass consumption. Pornography is prostitution for mass consumption. You think, you know, that definition of commercial sex I gave you earlier, that something of value is being exchanged uh, for a sex act? That's what pornographers are doing. People who are engaging in, in pornography, they're being paid to engage in a commercial sex act. That's prostitution. The difference is that it's being mass marketed. It's being captured in some format, whether it's on paper and print or on video. It's, it's being captured in such a way that masses of people can consume it instead of just one individual consume it. So if you are participating in, in engaging in using pornography, you're basically engaging in using prostitution. Now, particularly as pertains uh, to, to males, uh, and, and perhaps some, I know the, the, the landscape of pornography and who are, who's, who are users is really shifting, and I think that's something that's really happened in the last 10 to 15 years, but predominantly, historically, it's been the domain of, of males, and particularly since the 1950s and particularly 1953 and the launch of Playboy, which completely revolutionized Pornography and began, it, pornography began, began to came main, mainstream and very normalized. But it was, it, it, it was and it continues to be a training manual. This is how people are learning what sex, what they think sex is and what it means to be sexually expressive and, what it me, and how it is that we're supposed to be sexually engaging with each other. And if you have young people who this is what their, <laughs> their sex ed is, this is how they're being programmed to understand sexual relations, and they're going to be acting that out. Now, I'm not saying that everybody who um, looks at pornography is going to go out and buy sex from a woman in prostitution. Of course, that doesn't happen. But it begins to coach. It begins to train people to start thinking, they have a, an objectified view 
of the others around them. Okay, to start thinking of everyone as a sexual object and of their hotness and whether they're, well, I won't go there. <laughs> uh, there's a, a term that, um, there's an expert on pornography named Gail Dines, and if this is an issue that really interests you, I suggest you um, look her up and, and look at her research. She's at Wheelock College in Boston, but she's probably one of the foremost experts on the issue of pornography. And um, Okay, so more on this idea of pornography as a training manual. So what we're talking about here is sexual fantasies. People say, oh, it doesn't matter because it's just fantasy. Well, sexual fantasy is rehearsal for relationships. If you imagine others as mere instruments of your gratification, you are literally rehearsing exploitive patterns of behavior towards others. The more you picture yourself using others or being used, the more such encounters will feel familiar and normal. Now, just to show again how um, these issues go together, how pornography and prostitution dovetail, this is from Victor Malarek's book, The Johns. He's quoting, um, well here, he, he quotes a porn user, but here, here's what he says. He says, porn and Johns go hand in hand. Porn is often what turns the men on, revs up their drive, and sends them out into the night. The internet is rife with posting by Johns, and by that he means sex buyers. Admitting addiction to or love for porn. For Bull Rider, porn and mongering go together like peas and carrots. Many times I start out watching porn. Next thing I know, I'm in my car looking for the real thing. So it's just an anecdotal example of how pornography and prostitution bleed um, together. So what we're... The point then leading up to, really what we're leading up to is this idea that sex trafficking is dependent upon, the whole enterprise is completely dependent upon one individual, and that is the sex buyer. So those who are purchasing sex. The whole sex trafficking would stop tomorrow if men stopped purchasing sex today. It would put every pimp out there, every sex trafficker out there would be out of business like that. They go find something else to do. They're in it for to make them. They're in it for the money. That's why this is. And where do they get in the money from? All the people, the hundreds and thousands and millions of people who are buying sex, who think that they are entitled to use a person as their receptacle for their sex act. Now, who are sex buyers? Well, there are people who, there are, of course, pedophiles. There are people who are looking out there trolling to buy children. There are preferential exploiters, people who are looking to, to engage in sex with a particular uh, type of person, a particular ethnicity, a particular build, a particular physique, a particular attribute that they want. And, and a lot of this involves the thrill of the hunt. They're actually enjoying this idea of searching and, and, and the conquest involved. You have opportunistic exploiters. These are people who are just taking advantage of their time away. Usually, you know, they're, um, milita they're, maybe they're involved in the military, they're overseas, maybe they're truckers, maybe they're business travelers, uh, having that convention in Las Vegas, uh, so people like that. You have uh, people engaging in bachelor parties. 
and the people who are sex buyers are married and they're unmarried and they're working and they're unemployed. I mean, it really runs the gamut. There isn't a good one standard profile of a sex buyer. They can come from every socioeconomic class, every race. <laughs> they're just out there. And now today, with pornography users, we're definitely seeing, of course, it's traditionally been the domain of men, but now also women. And of course, people who um, are, quote, patrons of strip clubs. So the two kind of a term, two kind of a phrase. So, men who purchase sex acts are all ages, come from all socioeconomic levels, all occupation categories, and, and ethnic racial groups. Their behavior to buy a sex act is a choice. This is where the issue of choice comes in. And so much of the time, we're so focused on the choice of women involved in, pro or the people involved in prostitution, when the real choice we should be talking about is the people who are buying sex in the first place. They have a choice. They have a choice to go home to their families. They have a choice to go take a cold shower. They have a choice to go play soccer. They have all kinds of choices. How about they choose not to buy sex? <laughs> not to think that their sexual desires or urges uh, entitle them to have to a right to have um, to buy sex. Okay, I've got to get moving here. So, quick illustration: um, study out of the UK. This was 70 male sex buyers in the UK. The average age of these buyers was 35. Over half were married. That would scare me. <laughs> uh, yeah. 10% were living with a partner, and um, an average of 10.7 of these guys paid sexual experience, um, they had 10.7 paid sexual experiences over 12 months. And involving uh, almost six different women. Uh, looking at uh, another part of the world, India, it's reported that there are two and a half million women engaged in prostitution, particularly in South India. And in Mumbai, it's estimated that more than 100,000 women are prostituted 365 days a year, averaging six sex buyers a day at $2 each for their sex act. So, <laughs> again, back to my point, this whole enterprise hinges on one individual, and that is the buyer. And my point illustrated. So this was taken um, in a red light area in Mexico, and you can see the predatory nature of what the sex trade is all about. So I'd like you all to put yourselves for a moment in that girl's shoes and imagine what you would feel like standing there. And then switch shoes and imagine what you feel like if you're one of these men. What are you thinking and what are you feeling? All right, so we're about to wrap up here. Now... One of the really important questions that looms out there is this idea of, of sex as work. And what I want you to understand is that if you embrace a sex work ideology, you are basically saying that there are some people 
who God destined, who he intended before the world began, that their purpose in life would be to be a prostitute or a pornography actor or whatever you want to call it. Is that what you really believe? That it was part of God's ordained order that there were people who would be, who their whole function in life was to be a prostitute? I, I don't think so. I, don't, I, I completely reject that idea. I think prostitution is prima facie evidence of the fall. You know, to me, <laughs> uh, you know, as in the creation story, the story is escalating as it goes up, right? The order, the level of complexity, the, and the goodness, is just, it's, just, it's just reaching an apex. You know, so we, we have a lot of debates in the church about this idea that Adam was made first, <laughs> right? And that that puts him in a certain position of leadership. But Eve was made last, and sometimes the best is saved for last, just something to think about. So, a quick scriptural admonition. There are, you know, there is, I think, clear biblical foundation for this idea that prostitution is harmful. Uh, in Leviticus, uh, the Lord admonishes the Israelites not to degrade your daughter by making her a prostitute, or the land will turn to prostitution and be filled with wickedness. I think many places have seen the fruits of that. And, you know, we don't really have time to go into all the responses to this issue. Now, actually, in my closing presentation today, we're going to talk about things you can do on the trafficking issue, so don't feel like I've just dumped this boatload of garbage on you and I'm not going to help uh, equip you how to respond. But one of the things, I think one of, this is perhaps one of my whew, top five, ten favorite verses of Scripture. I, I think this whole idea of being transformed by the renewing of your mind is of supreme importance when it comes to dealing with issues of um, our sexuality, our sexual purity, and how we um, deal with this issue of sex trafficking. And again, it's so overwhelming. It can feel, I'm sure some of you are feeling like you've just had this big (laughs) weight dumped on you, but I don't want you to feel um, hopeless um, we have a, as Mike, Micah said it brilliantly today, I mean, the, the battle is won, it's just not finished. And I love the song that we sang this morning about there is no power on hell <laughs> that can stand against the great I am. No power. No power. And if all of us will just embrace that and believe that and live that out, how different would an issue like this look? So, I share Hebrews 12 with the idea that do not grow weary. Do not grow weary. Consider him who endured so much, who endured the cross. Okay, okay so, um, and hopefully, I, I love this. One of my favorite artists is John August uh, Swanson. Uh, I love this beautiful picture. Uh, he calls it the Festival of Lights. And I think about what's happening here at Kingswood and, and the different Christian high schools that are here and the opportunity that we all have to bring bringers of light, the light and the hope of Christ to a broken world and to an issue like sex trafficking and those in, who are caught up in the commercial sex trade, whether they were trafficked or not. 
You know, I'm really not, in my work, I am not on a quest to find pretty woman. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because in the, sex, in the anti-sex trafficking movement, there are a whole lot of people who focus on children, specifically because they can avoid the debate about what's going on with adults and prostitution. And so the adult women in prostitution are often considered there of their own volition, it's their own choice, it's, they're dirty, um, we don't have to worry about them. And personally, I don't care. I don't care how anybody got involved in prostitution. What I care about is that they're in there. And once they're in there, I know, I know what's gonna happen to them. All that stuff I just showed you. And I know that Jesus cares. And, and I believe with all my heart the church should care. So uh, with that, let's, uh, I don't think I have anything else. Uh, let's close with a word of prayer. Uh, dear Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we are more than conquerors uh, through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the gift of sex. And we repent for... Um, how we've corrupted it, and how we've stood by and uh, been bystanders, or maybe sometimes worse, um, been contributors to the exploitation of others. And I just ask that you would be moving in the hearts and minds of the people here today, um, that you would be um, helping everyone here in ways big and small to make their, take their bite out of this problem, their bite of the elephant that we might all help create a world that's more just, that's more loving, that has a heart for the sexually oppressed and the exploited. That we would be helping really to share the truth and the, the truth, your truth, and to set people free. Where we praise you and we love you. We just adore you. The, one of the best things about you is that you are a God who is not afraid to suffer. You know this misery. You know the pain. Thank you for entering this dark and broken world and for showing us the way out of evil and sin. Lord, we praise you and worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.